0: Today's lesson was recorded on October 12, 2021, and is the fourth in our weekly Bible study through the book of Matthew. In today's lesson, we look at a moral principle that most Christians aren't familiar with, and it's called measure for measure. Measure for measure exists throughout the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, and the phrase is even used by Jesus in the same context as the rabbis of his day used it. So we can understand measure for measure as part of God's justice in the world. Not final judgment, but the cosmic justice that occurs in one's lifetime based on our behavior. Now this Bible study is recorded live each Tuesday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And you're welcome to join us. We still have space available. You can sign up at our website, figtreeteaching.com. Look across the top banner for Join the Bible Study, and we'll add you to the email list for the weekly study. We hope this study through the book of Matthew blesses you and helps you see just how deep the scripture is. And as we look through the cultural lens of first century Judaism, we always see things that we haven't noticed before. And usually the things that come to light are quite powerful at strengthening the foundation of Of our faith. So we hope you enjoy tonight's lesson on the concept of measure for measure. We're going to talk measure for measure. This is an idea that Christians don't often tread into, but is all over the Bible. And if you Google measure for measure, you may even find some articles that will label it like Jewish karma, because it's going to sound a lot like karma. And it's more prominent in the rabbinic thought than in Christian thought. And I think as Westerners, we tend to move away from it because it sounds so Eastern, but it's right smack in the middle of our Bible, and it's going to help us understand something about God's justice. So our topic will be Measure for Measure, we'll see that just come out clearly in the text. It's everywhere. So this is week four of our Matthew study, and the past couple of weeks I've showed you the, the photo that I had in the background was Capernaum, the synagogue at Capernaum, and this week it's still Capernaum. What you see here is a picture from Capernaum. The city of, the, or the village of Capernaum was famous for their food processing uh, equipment. And whether it was millstones, like you see the the grinding stone to grind the olives, or an olive press, a giant Gethsemane is what it's called, the press for oils, or you get for wheat. So you'll have two piece, two sides to a millstone. The Bible says, don't take somebody's top millstone overnight. You got to give it back to them as security if they if you give them a loan because they need that for their food. So Capernaum was famous for their millstones, and of course Jesus gives us a teaching. He says, uh, "If any of you cause a little one to stumble, they ought to hang one of those a millstone around their neck and throw them over there in the sea." And you get Capernaum with all the millstones and the sea, and that's a picture of some of judgment, right? When you cause somebody to stumble, God's gonna his judgment is gonna come out, and the sea is representative of judgment. So we're gonna see. Later, this millstone is going to come back in, because we're talking tonight about God's justice and judgment, and uh, how he's structured the whole world. So that there is a millstone from Capernaum.
1: So if you want to turn in your Bible, Matthew 7, and it's only two verses, one and two, we're going to go through a
0: whole bunch of scripture, but I put it all on your sheet, because we're we just don't have time to go to have you flip through each one in your Bible, uh, so I'll move fairly quickly through that. But I want to show you how prevalent the idea of
1: measure for measure is inside the text. One little note: so I put the videos. We have the, we have the
0: the class, and then I put the video in YouTube. And part of the reason why I want videos on YouTube is because of the images. So just like you can see a millstone there at Capernaum and that lends to the story, then as much as I can try to provide a visual. Because, you know, we're all, we're visual people. That's how we learn. We like to have pictures. We think in pictures. They help us learn. But at the same time, we also take the recording and we put it as Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So I was telling someone the other day, you know, the old saying that repetition is the mother of all pedagogy or the repetition is the mother of, of all teaching that it's always good if you go back and listen a second or third time kind of like you're watching a movie the second or third time you see something you didn't see before and you can do it more conveniently than sitting in front of a YouTube video cuz that's not always convenient by using Apple podcast or Spotify if you have that and take it with you so i just want to encourage you because i'm introducing generally speaking to a christian audience something new that you're not it's not talked about a lot in church, it's going to take a little bit of time to have it uh, digest. So it's one way that you can go back and review the the uh, lesson, and I guarantee you, you'll hear something, because even when I go back and edit the audio, I hear things that I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot I said that. And then of course, for everybody watching, it's always helpful for a ministry on digital, on, uh, digital media to hit subscribe, to hit the like button, to share it. That helps the algorithms at YouTube and the algorithms at Apple notice that the video is out there or that the recording is out there. So that always helps us. So Matthew 7, 1-2, to and again, measure for measure is probably new to many of you. So it's always good to go back and review a couple times. This is a really helpful topic, too. Once you, get, once you see how prevalent it is in the Bible, it really does help Especially when there's injustices in the world, as there tend to be. All right. So let's start, Matthew 7, 1 to 2, just two verses. Jesus starts out like this Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now that's the measure for measure. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. That's one measure for measure. Then he says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That's another measure for measure. That's what we're gonna find out. Measure for measure means It's the reciprocal of what you've done. And then he adds what's a very rabbinic saying here, and I'll show you an example in a minute. He says, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And that's where the rabbis come up with the phrase measure for measure. So when he says this to his first century audience, they understand exactly what he's talking about. There's no... um, Hey, that's new. Never heard that before. This is something that stretches throughout the Old Testament, intertestamental period, the writing in between the two um, testaments. You'll find measure for measure, and it's all over the rabbinic writings. So I put on your handout, because you probably don't have a Mishnah in front of you, I put on your handout one sentence from the Mishnahs Mishnah Sota. Mishnah Sota is a. Um, I think it's in Leviticus. If there's a uh, a wife that's suspected of cheating, there's a ceremony that you have to take her through to see if sh- if she's guilty of the crime. And Sota is like an errant wife. So Mishnah Sota one seven says this, and this is on your handout. With the measure that a person measures, he is measured with it. So with a, with the measure that a person measures he is measured with it. That's almost exactly what Jesus said. So in Hebrew, those two phrases would be almost exactly alike, what Jesus said. For with a measure that you use, you will be measured with it. So my point in showing you that is simply, we're in the context of first century Judaism, rabbinic thought, Jesus is not out of bounds in any way, shape, or form. The audience knows what he's talking about. This is a common concept um, that just us modern Christians aren't too familiar with it. But that's one example. You can find many examples in uh, the rabbinic writings that talk about measure for measure. Okay, so the idea, measure for measure, what is it? Let's start out with a definition first to make sure that we understand what are they talking about. So it is... um, Biblical, and I want to stress that we're pulling this from the Bible. The rabbis aren't making this up; it comes from the Bible, as I'll show you. It's biblical retributive justice: you do an action, an equal and opposite reaction comes back at you. And the thing is, is it's happening not from well, other human beings might be involved, but it's like God is it's it's built into the structure of of God's creation at least that's the way they thought about it. So the idea is sorry, what you do, right? What you do will be done to you and we'll see that over and over again. Whatever your actions are, they come back on top of you. If you believe that, then you pay attention to your actions because you know if you do something wrong, it's going to come back on top of you. And the idea is that this was woven into the fabric of the cosmos and now to the first century mind, there's no difference between is it from God or is it woven into the creation because it's all God. We tend to separate after the enlightenment, you know, God is somewhere up there, we're down here. Every once in a while we intersect, but really we are inside God's cosmos and to their mind this idea is a structural idea inside inside God's cosmos. So I'm going to use the phrase cosmos or God's cosmos, and I'm doing that very intentionally because it's describing something about the nature of reality as we live with God in this universe or in this world. So to take one step, this isn't on your sheet. I did put it in the footnote at the very bottom of the page on the word cosmos, because the reason I'm using cosmos, very important that we understand that word. So cosmos, of course, comes from the Greek. It's a Greek word, cosmos. Looks like it was first used by the philosopher and mathematician Pythagoras. So if you've ever done the Pythagorean theorem, well, then that's who you have. That's where we get the idea of the cosmos. And cosmos is the created order. It's all the order around us, both seen and unseen. And the word cosmos has the idea of order or good order. And because Pythagoras looked at the world and knew that this was a, a structure there was a structure to it that you could find and you could interact with, and it was good. That was the thing that was good. And what does Genesis 1 say? God created the heavens and the earth out of the chaos. He ordered everything and then called it good. When we use the word cosmos, by the way, in the New Testament, cosmos is used all over the place. Usually it gets translated earth. But it's uh it means good order. It's God created an ordered space for us. And it's good. There's it's filled with goodness. And that's the intention is to line up, to, to line up ourselves with God's goodness, even as much as we can in our sinful state. The other thing you'll note is cosmos means beauty. So you get a word like cosmetology. It's the adornment of a woman to make her more beautiful. It's not only a good and ordered universe, it's a beautiful universe. Things make sense. So this is God's creation. It's God's cosmos. It's ordered. It's good. There's a structure to it. And the way they're going to think about measure for measure is that it's built in to the actual structure of the cosmos. When you deviate from God, it's going to come back right on top of you in some way, shape, or form. Now, we would say that's God doing it, but again, first century mind, there's no difference between the cosmos reaction in God. Okay, so cosmos, this is one of the most famous pictures of what the cosmos is like. You're looking out, you're piercing the veil, and you're looking out at the mechanisms that are operating behind the scenes of the cosmos. So, okay, so this is the way to try to present it as I think about it. God created the cosmos, and there's a fabric, it's like a fabric of goodness and truth And if you remember last week, God gave us Torah. It's a teaching. And Torah comes from the word Yara, which means to shoot like an arrow. So God's Torah, God's teaching, is like the force of an arrow flying straight and true. So that's how he creates the cosmos. It's just built into the structure of the universe. Well, lo and behold, here comes humanity, right? Human beings come into this whole thing. And how do we do when it comes to God's universe? right? We start trying to bend the universe to our own will. And the foolishness, this is what the Bible calls foolishness, is you're not, you're not able to see the reality of God's creation. So you think, ah, I can get away with that. And you try to bend reality. Well, how do you, what do you think that's going to do? How do you, th- you think you're going to get away with that? No way. It's a fool who says there is no God. And foolishness is acting without consideration of the reality around you. So you lie, you cheat, you're deceitful, you murder, you do whatever, thinking you're somehow going to get away with it. And of course, whenever you do that stuff, you know, reality snaps back into place. And that's measure for measure because you get smacked upside the head and
1: you're just, you know, shown your foolishness. That's retributive justice. and they believed because you can look around and see it still happening people
0: go act a, diff- a certain way thinking they can get away with it and the next thing you know what they thought never would be discovered is discovered because truth has a way of coming out and coming to light so reality will snap back on you that's the way god and that and that's what measure for measure is so as we see it's always something coming back on top of you and it starts with The creation of the cosmos, the way God established everything, good and goodness and order and beauty. And when you violate that, watch out. And that's exactly what we'll see throughout this whole thing. Okay, so a little bit more about measure for measure. What I think Westerners get uh, a little bit nervous about is it sounds like karma, an Eastern concept of karma. But it's not. It's different than what we think of or of the Eastern concept of karma. Because the Eastern concept of karma includes the totality of your beating. In in their mind, it's all of your past lives. It's your present actions that decides your fate in your next life, your next incarnation. Well, that's not the Bible at all. You know, the Bible doesn't talk that way. That's a very Eastern thing. So it's not karma. I think when people are looking at the world and they use the phrase karma like something s- snapped back and got somebody they're actually th- talking about measure for measure but we use the term karma so measure for measure at least biblical measure for measure is always about the here and now it's your actions cause some kind of reaction in the in the cosmos and the fool is the person who thinks they can get away with it the wise person tries to go with, get in line and be in harmony with God's cosmos so that you're not out of whack. So the biblical is much more about in this lifetime. And it's not, um, in our minds, you know, we often think about ultimate salvation. It's really not that either. It's about your behavior. It's really, you could say to any Christian, watch out, don't do that. You go down that path, man, you're going to get whacked. Something bad will happen. It's, It's those types of warnings that we would give to somebody, you know, to watch their behavior. So if we go back to Matthew 7, do not judge or you'll be judged. That's the measure for measure. It's the reaction that comes back at you, particularly if your judging is poor. So for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure
1: you use, it will be measured to you. So that's measure for measure. Okay. So that's a lot, but let's go look at some examples. The first one is I'm going to get the first thing we're going
0: to do is walk through Old Testament verses that simply have the the formula for measure for measure and then we'll go through some narrative that shows how it's playing out. Because the rabbis noticed, hey, you know, some of the stories we have in the Bible actually show measure for measure happening. So these are all on your sheet and I'm going to walk through them straight through to try to go a little bit faster through them. Now there's, I'm not even covering probably, I don't know how many more there are. There are a lot more measure for measures that you'll find. And once you're consciously aware of measure for measure, you'll start seeing them yourself show up in the text. So the first one, and this is probably the most important one, it's one of the oldest moral principles we have, Comes from Genesis 6, and this is with the covenant of Noah. So this is first on your sheet. Actually, we're just now at number two, but the biblical examples. So this is Genesis 9, 6, as God is reestablishing a covenant with humanity through Noah. And he says, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall
1: his blood be shed. That's the measure for measure. You shed blood, then your blood shall be shed.
0: Now, why? Why is that so important? Well, whose image is is man made in, right? It's God's. For God made man as his own image. So to kill a human being is to destroy the image of God. It's that serious. And we do take murder seriously. So, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, some of your Bibles say whoever sheds man's blood. Now that's technically correct in English, but there's a problem. It loses the fact that the Hebrew, when, you, when the Hebrew writers are writing their Bible, very often the message is put in some structure of the text. So there's something called chiastic structure. It's the one side of a chi, an X. This is actually a chiasm. It's a chiastic structure. And so if we break it down, there's only six words in Hebrew. Like whoever sheds is actually one word in Hebrew. So you have sheds. Now, the way Hebrew works, you add uh, prefixes and suffixes, and it changes the, the, the Hebrew word, but it's one word. Sheds, blood, man. Whoever sheds the blood of man. That's the first three. Then what's really cool is the chiastic structure inverts. So it's like a mirror. And this is where they see the measure for measure. It's not just explaining measure for measure. It's showing you a picture of what measure for measure looks like. So sheds blood man. Then the next verse says, by man, your blood shall be shed. So you actually get that's the chiastic type structure. So it's not just in words that's telling you what a measure for measure is. It gives you a picture of what a measure, measure for measure is. It's the mirror
1: image. What you did to somebody up here, that will be done to you down here. So it's much bigger. Um, the Tower of Babel is one of the most amazing chiastic structures
0: you'll ever see. Because with everything that man plans, that's kind of leading up to the pinnacle, God turns around and, and creates disorder at the bo- you know going all the way down. It's so cool. It's a brilliant nine verses of literary device to explain that when man sets out to do something, God will say, oh, really? Watch this, and flips it on its head. And you often get the opposite of what you want, right? They didn't want to be scattered at the Tower of Babel, and by the end of it, they're scattered. So it's like uh, it's the reversal of what's happening. Okay, so anyways, this is really important to know, because this verse sheds the blood of man, right? By man shall his blood be shed. And so sometimes it's, imp- you know, that's the ESV because a lot of the other Bibles didn't put it that way. So I just wanted to show you why it's sometimes important to put the words in the proper order, even though the English might be harder to see. Okay, so that's, that's the big one. That's the one that really sets the tone for what measure for measure is in Genesis, partly because it's the first time you see it in the Bible. All right, let me just show you a couple more, because these are, I think, in a time where we tend to see a lot of injustices in the world, some of these verses will be good for you to carry along with you, to remind you that God is just. So, Psalm 7, and this is, again, on your sheet, in the interest of time, Psalm 7, verse 14, whoever is pregnant with evil, conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment, or some of your Bibles say lies. First of all, what a great metaphor. You're pregnant with evil. You've conceived troubles. You're giving birth to to lies or disillusionment. Verse 15, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out, falls into the pit they have made. That's like a measure for measure. I dug myself a hole, and then I fell into it. Now, the real measure for measure comes right here in verse 16. The trouble they cause recoils on them. So the trouble they cause recoils on them. That's the, that's the inversion that's happening.
1: The violence comes down on their own heads. Peter, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. That's a measure for measure. So Psalm 7. Is a great one to meditate on
0: to realize injustice in the world is always going to be met with God's justice, even if you never see it. Okay, that's Psalm 7. Next one on your sheet, Isaiah 3. Again, I'm kind of just skipping. I just want to give you the flavor of what the Old Testament is saying and why, by the time you get to the rabbis in the New Testament, this is just assumed, right? The audience assumes it. So Isaiah 3.11, woe to the wicked, disaster is upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. So somehow, now I don't know how they're going to be paid back, but God does. So I don't need to worry about how. I just have to have the confidence that that's happening. So woe to the wicked, disaster is upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. There's, that's the measure for measure. Okay, next on your sheet. And this one is probably the clearest. When people think Measure for Measure, Obadiah 1:15, there's only one chapter of Obadiah, so it's really Obadiah 15. But this is probably the clearest statement: The day of the Lord is near for all
1: nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head, as you have done it will be done to you that's the clearest statement of measure for measure okay so all of these all of these are kind of statements about measure for measure they haven't really gotten personal yet
0: but now i want to move to one that's more personal to the to the israelites because when we get to zechariah he's going to pull out one that's personal
1: to the israelites he's reflecting back Before Israel went into captivity, they were not listening to God. So Zechariah 7.13, they're not listening to God, and God
0: says this through Zechariah, When I called, they did not listen.
1: So when they called, I would not listen. That's the demonstration of measure for measure
0: being put into action for Israel. God calls out to them. They won't listen. God says, okay, measure for measure. You call out to me. I don't listen. And then it's like, uh-oh, God's not listening to our cries any longer. So that's a great one that at least shows the interaction between God. Okay, so those are just, hopefully you get the, you get the flavor. I think you all know by now, we've kind of done enough of those. You get the point. Whatever you do, there's a reaction. And somehow God will, particularly if it's a a negative, if you're going against the grain of God's cosmos in a disruptive way, it's going to spring back on you. So those are just kind of statements. But the rabbis noticed something, and they said, Look, it's all over the biblical narrative, too, meaning the stories. It isn't just a flat-out statement, but we notice in the stories, measure for measure keeps working out that sometimes punishments reflect what they did. So it's all over the biblical narrative. Again, I'm going to go quickly. We're not going to turn in our Bibles, but you can go back and reflect on these later. So for instance, Jacob, because he's a deceiver, right? Jacob deceives his father. And what he gets is something that was Esau was supposed to get the blessing. Esau is the older one that's supposed to get the blessing. Jacob deceives his father. You say, okay, well, that's not very nice. What happens next? Well, he goes off to live with Laban, and he says, I want to marry your daughter. And what does Laban do? He deceives him. He gives him Leah instead. So, Jacob deceives his father to get a blessing that was due to the older child, Esau. And what happens? Laban deceives him and gives gives him Leah, and Laban says right after that, it's our custom that the oldest daughter gets married first. So what you get is something like a measure for measure. Deception? Deception. And the rabbis say, see, God was not happy with with Jacob. So there's consequences
1: for your deception. Okay, so that's one with Jacob. There's another one with Jacob. As Jacob's deceiving his father, and I know
0: he has the help of his mother, but as he's deceiving his father, he gets the, the skin of a young goat, right? Because remember he says, you know, my, my skin's all smooth and Esau's hairy. So he has, a, he has a goat skin and his father says, ah, yes, that's, that's Esau. So he deceives his father with a skin of a goat.
1: How is Jacob deceived when his sons tell him about Joseph? He's deceived by the blood of a goat. So you have a goat on one side, this side,
0: and then you have a goat over here. The blood of a young goat. And now they come to Jacob and they say they have the they have his his, uh, multicolored coat with the blood on it. And all they say is look. They don't tell him. They say look, and Jacob comes up with his own interpretation of this, of the deception. But the point is, the rabbis notice. Hey. He deceived over here with a goat. He got deceived with the blood of a goat. Measure for measure. Now, how many years were between those deceptions? A lot, right? We don't, I mean, without trying to do the math. So how long does it take for God's measure to measure to come into fruition? It's up to God. It's his timing, right? We don't know. You don't always, we want it to happen right now so I can see justice going and being enacted. God's like, no, I'm on a different timeline. I'll do it when it's perfectly needed. So, again, I didn't put this on your sheet, but I think you guys may have heard this. There's a common proverb, at least we know it's in the first century because other Roman writers uh, mention it, though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly fine.
1: And that's a proverb on justice. Hey, those, that, those millstones are moving slow, but they will get you.
0: Nobody gets away with anything. There's a Roman writer named Plutarch who's complaining that the, the mills are not going fast enough because people uh, still think that they can get away with wickedness because they don't recognize that their wicked action will get paid for. It just doesn't show up right away. So, okay. So, Jacob, how long does it take to get paid back? We don't know. Um, let me go through these fairly quickly. You guys know the Egyptians drown the babies in the Nile. So the Pharaoh is getting nervous about uh, the, all of the Jews, gro- the number of Jews. He tells the midwives, any male, throw them in the Nile. Drown the baby. How are the Egyptians killed when they leave Israel? They're drowned. So it's, the Egyptians drown the baby, measure for measure. The Egyptians are drowned in the Red Sea. So there's a measure for measure. This one's a good one. Samson, Samson and Delilah. So Samson, Judges 16 starts out with, Samson saw the prostitute. So the the sin is the lust of the eyes, right? He saw the prostitute. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 16, what's happening to Samson? His eyes are being gouged out. So measure for measure, you sin with your eyes, then your eyes are gouged out. That's, again, at least the way the, The rabbinic way of looking at that story, you see that happening. And then I'll finish with this one in the book of Esther. Haman. Haman builds gallows to hang Mordecai. How is Haman killed? On the same same gallows. Yeah, so you build those gallows to kill somebody, God turns it around, and measure for measure comes back at you. Okay, so you can see, not only in word, but in the stories that are taking place, Measure for measure is prominent. So by the time Jesus comes around, like I said, he uses that phrase. Nobody,
1: everybody knows what it means. So when we get to the New Testament, last week when you read Matthew 6, so Matthew 6,
0: 14 and 15, we've got one on forgiveness. And this is a tough one. Right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not
1: forgive your sins. That's, that's measure for measure. Uh, the question was, if you see a measure for measure in the
0: text, like Samson or Haman, is it always built into a chiastic structure? And the answer is no. There are some texts that are specifically built into a chi- chiastic structure. But not always. It's just the rabbis notice hey, there was a sin over here, and they're met with retribution that matches that sin in their lifetime. So that's Matthew about forgiveness. And that's a tough one, right? We have a really hard time with this one. If you don't forgive others their sin, your father won't forgive you. It seems to violate some of our theological ideas, but I think his point is it's measure for measure how you act will be met with with a certain action from others. Another one from Luke. I didn't put this on your handout, but you can you guys will all be familiar with this one. Luke 6, 37 to 38. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. There's another measure for measure. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over and poured into your lap. And then here comes the 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 line, the rabbinic line for the measure you use, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there, you get the whole, the actually more specific measure for measure. And then one more from Paul in Galatians, Paul says, "Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Right? Don't you can't violate God's principles. A man reaps what he sows. Just another way of saying, another way of saying measure for measure." So we get it. You find it, Old Testament all the way through to the New. One of them that I don't have, I knew we wouldn't have time tonight. Check it out. There's a verse in Deuteronomy where God says, "Hey, if you follow other gods, you make me jealous, and then one day I'll make you jealous." And so Paul picks up on that. And in Romans he says, he says, "See, it's about Israel. God has now went to those other people, and Israel is jealous." So Paul's using that Deuteronomy check it out. You can read it for yourself, but that's another Paul's picking up on the measure for measure. So here's the big thing, because how do we understand measure for measure? It's very easy to misapply measure for measure. So there's lots of warnings from the rabbis, and there's warnings from Jesus. So we want to understand it properly. The warnings, well, here's, let me put the warnings up. The warnings for misapplication generally have to do with don't confuse somebody's suffering with God's retribution. If a poor person comes to you, don't go measure for measure on them and say, ah, well, you're suffering because you must have sinned in the past.
1: Because you could be wrong. So don't confuse somebody's suffering. It's the book of Job. How do, how do Job's friends view Job? sometimes there's suffering in the world don't misjudge uh there's a great
0: one from from Jesus uh his disciples say Jesus there's a blind man who sinned his parents or him that caused this man to be blind Jesus said oh no 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 not don't go there that's a that's cuz what they're thinking is oh somebody's blind well they must have done something to ca- that god is is now punishing them. And Jesus said, nope, don't fall into that trap. So it's real easy for us, you know, to see someone who's in need and start to think, well, you should have gotten your act together about 30 years ago, you know, and you wouldn't be in the place you are today, and start making judgments about them. Jesus says, don't do that. I think that's where he's talking about, don't, don't misapply a judgment. The big one, of course, New Testament, the warning, is Jesus himself on the cross. Because the people think, well, if he's on the cross, he must have done something, right? He was put to death by the Romans. God must have been out of favor with him. Until you read Isaiah 53 and say, no, no, no. It's because of our sins he's on the, he's on, that, his, uh, that he's wounded. It's our transgressions that are causing that, not his own. So there's a, uh, there's a big shift in that with Jesus on the cross. And you can, it can easily get misapplied. So there's stern warnings about don't misapply it. A good way to think about the proper understanding, measure for measure, is simply your own behavior. Right? Apply it to yourself. And this is how it's supposed to be. If you know that God structured his cosmos that way, then you, it should be a way to... to slow you down from poor behavior. You regulate your behavior properly to stay in harmony with God. Don't lie. Don't steal. Those are commandments. But there's also self-interest in that. If I know that there's measure for measure, I regulate my behavior. And the more you have the increased awareness of the reality of God, then you adjust yourself to live properly in that. I know many of you have, have that. I mean... If you were if someone wanted you to lie you would feel terrible about lying. You know, I know many of you go to great lengths to remain in truth because you know that f- the moment you lie you've got all kinds of problems around you. It's a terrible feeling. So you just don't do it. You you regulate your behavior. Okay, so that's a big one. Your your own behavior. You you apply this idea to your own life. And then finally, I want to bring it to the idea of forgiveness because Jesus talks so much about the need for forgiveness. And we just looked at that measure for measure about forgiveness. He wants us to be able to forgive. And forgiveness is a process of releasing an upset, but there's a distinct element to the releasing and forgiveness that has to do with justice. And so if you know that God is just and behavior will be met with some kind of with something from God, then you'll have the easier time saying, okay, God, you hold that person accountable. So if I had to diagram this, let me get my
1: screen going. Since a picture is worth a thousand words, I'll put up a little diagram. So this is you, and we're going to say that your desire is to be in peace. So
0: imagine that you're at peace in the world whatever that feels like to you, but you're sitting in peace. Now, how long is that peace going to last? Like 10 seconds, right? Because the moment, unfortunately, another human being enters the picture, you're going to, it's going to create, it's going to disturb the peace because that's what human beings do, right? One human being is complex. What's even more complex than that is two coming together. So the moment another human being comes in, relative, friend, coworker, whatever you get pulled out of your peace and what gets created in between you is an upset for whatever
1: reason there are upsets all over the place from close relatives to far to politicians that'll
0: disrupt your peace right god wants you to re- return back to peace so forgiveness is the idea of releasing you release the upset so that the upset gets sent away Let me back that up, because I think I had the... Okay, so there's the upset between you and somebody else. Forgiveness is the idea of releasing. The word in Greek means to send away. Well, what are you sending away? I'm going to release. I'm going to forgive that upset. So I choose to forgive that upset. The upset gets sent away, and you move back and restore peace. So forgiveness is really about your own peace reconciliation is the next step that you go back and you reconcile the relationship. But forgiveness is for you going back to a position of peace. So if we go back here and we say, okay, we're in a situation where someone is over here and they've created an upset. If I don't let that upset go, bitterness, resentment, anger, possibly revenge. I mean, it can get ugly. You lose your humanity if you don't release that upset. But one of the hindrances to releasing an upset is that sometimes there's an injustice, right? We have a strong craving for justice. And we want to know, God, there's been an injustice. And this person, and so some people don't want to forgive because they think if they forgive, that means the person got off the hook. Nobody gets off the hook in God's world. So we have a strong desire for justice. And this is where I think our understanding of measure for measure can come in to say, if I know, that God is just and all actions will be met and God will be the perfect judge. He doesn't want me to be the judge. He wants to be the judge. So if I said, okay, look, God, I'm going to release the responsibility for justice to you. Not only am I going to, I choose to forgive this person, but I'm going to release the responsibility of justice to you. So it's another releasing. I'm, I'm giving up. And God says, thank you very much. Yes, I'm happy to be the judge of the world. And once you can have peace with the fact that justice does exist, you now, the upset is released. And this is where the rabbis, you know, in the first century, and even Jesus, it's like, no, don't fight the Romans. You know, God took care of the, the, the Pharaoh. We just were told to obey. So God will take care of the Romans. Your job is to obey. Your job is to, to be set apart and not get caught up in anger and bitterness and then end up losing your humanity in, in becoming violent with somebody else. So if there's anything that I think measure for measure can help us, it's with the idea of forgiveness, because it, it increases our awareness of God's justice. It helps us understand that it's woven into the fabric of, the, of his creation. You don't get away with anything even if you're not caught in this lifetime it still hurts you when you when you violate god's uh god's rules so it's an awareness of god's justice it helps us release that word release is the same idea as forgiveness so it helps us release the the upset and we can go back to finding peace in the moment even among the chaos of the world around us so okay that's my little If we have to take measure for measure, understanding it, and move it to a practical, something we can apply to our lives, I think it's really helpful. I tell people all the time when they say, man, look at these injustices in the world. And I'm like, read Psalm 7, learn measure for measure, because that'll help you say, look, all actions, nobody gets away with anything. And until we can deeply understand that
1: and release justice to God, right? So, okay, that's enough. Quick review. So, measure for measure, God's cosmos, He created good order and beauty
0: woven into the goodness of the world. If you violate that, it's going to spring back. And that's where the measure of measure comes, measure for measure comes back. It's God's retributive justice. The rabbis thought, they said this is built into the cosmos, not only because we see it in our Bible, but you can see it in the world around you as somebody behaves poorly and then is met with the consequence of that behavior. Um, We find it, obviously, in the Old Testament, both in uh, the the phrasing and then the stories. In the New Testament, Jesus affirms that. How you measure it out, it will be measured back to you. And then the warnings about the improper use. Don't start misjudging people because you think it's somehow God, God is punishing them. And then finally, to help us, Jesus so badly wants us to be able to forgive and release that responsibility to justice to God because forgiveness will lead to all— if we don't forgive, it leads to all kinds of bad stuff. But when we do forgive, it brings us back into uh, peace in our humanity. So, okay, that was uh, week four, measure for measure. Hopefully, I was able—you guys will judge. You will be the judges of that— of if I was able to communicate that well or not. But I think it's one of the more important topics that we, that we understand about God's uh, justice. Anyways, next week, we're going to go, next week is this kingdom of God is bursting forth, right? John is the breaker that kicks open the, the wall and the, we're the sheep that follow the king out. It's so cool. There's this, it's a very, it's a, it's a misinterpreted statement in Matthew But when you catch the picture of the Old Testament, where they're pulling from uh, in the Old Testament, and see what Jesus is saying, the kingdom has been bursting forth violently. Well, violently, not good. It's explosive. It's
1: exploding forth. We'll do that next week. That's a really fun one to do. I think the idea of judgment is you can have a negative judgment.
0: I like to use the word discern, because discern, if you say to somebody, I'm discerning, doesn't sound, judgment sounds like a finality thing. I've judged your life like that is Jesus doesn't want us to do that right to where it where it goes excessive and it causes you then to act a certain way towards them. And you're right. We have to make judgment calls all the time. And you judge a performance or you judge a whatever and I think there's, there's, a, there's a wide range of use of the word judge. But the negative one is when I've made a
1: judgment about you and I've diminished you. So if I'm, if I'm judgmental towards people, then people will be judgmental
0: towards me. And if you're gracious towards people to say, look, we all have flaws. I see your flaws. I'm not afraid of them. Now, forgiveness is a whole other piece, because you will get into the point where you're going to have to forgive somebody, like probably tomorrow morning, if not later in the day. Just to go a little bit further, forgiveness is really hard, especially when someone has actually hurt you or done something that's, that's unjust. It's really hard. And sometimes... People can say, well, I want to forgive, but there's something keeping me from letting. Like, I often have maybe conditional forgiveness, right? Okay, God, I forgive this person, but I'd really like to see them punished within the next week. How about that, right? Like, I need to see the punishment. I need to see the justice happen. Well, that's conditional forgiveness. I haven't let that go. As I'm saying I forgive, I'm internally thinking, but boy, do they deserve to be punished, you know? And it's like, no, I have to release justice, too. Okay, God, you can handle all 7 billion people on the planet. And I don't know how that works, and I don't know when the justice will show up, and I don't know all that, but I'm going to release that responsibility to you. And that, that actually is part of a process of forgiving that helps you release when you can actually see that, oh yeah, there's, there's an injustice, but it will be taken care of. And that's not abdicating justice at all. I mean, if someone breaks into your house and you press charges, that's because he broke a law. I'm not, but you can forgive and uphold lo- the laws at the same time. Many people think if I forgive that you're condoning behavior, or letting someone go. It's like, no, you're not. You're just releasing the,
1: the emotional or spiritual baggage that goes along with being upset. This gets into a little bit of a it's, a, it's a topic that's debated about how Matthew's putting together his,
0: his uh, writing here. So some scholars see that what Matthew's doing is, I mentioned this last week very briefly, he creates his book. There's five long discourses where Jesus is talking. And that would be similar to Moses's five books, right? The five books of Moses. And so what scholars think is what he's probably doing is taking all of these teachings of Jesus and lining them up in one long extended dialogue. So to us, it looks like a long extended dialogue, but it probably would have been, you know, a teaching here, a teaching here, a teaching there. And he lines them up because they're all relevant together. So it looks like sometimes he's skipping around from one thing to the next. And you're like, if you're the audience member, you're trying to figure out where's he going now. It's a lot to put on an audience.